All right, good afternoon, everyone. This is Mark Molina, CEO of Molina Leadership and Business Development Solutions. Today, we're excited to have with us James Clevenger. He is one of the candidates for the Lane County District Attorney race. And I'm gonna begin with reading his uh, bio. Uh, James is both an attorney and a police officer serving in both positions simultaneously. He has been a private attorney from 2009 to present. He is licensed in both Oregon and Washington. He has served, he served as a judicial clerk to U.S. D District Judge Michael McShane from 2013 to 2017. He was a police officer, or he is a, a police officer in Oak Ridge, Oregon from, two, from 2017 to present. He was a police officer in Coburg, Oregon from 2014 to 2017. And he was a police officer in Junction City from two, 2010 to 2014, and a UOD, University of Oregon police officer or Department of Public Safety from 2010 to 2013. His educational background is he has been to the University of Oregon Law School. He has his doctorate of jurisprudence. He went to the University of Liverpool Law School, the LLM, in international human rights. He's been to, he received his undergrad from DePaul University in political science, and he has completed semesters of education at both Oxford and Harvard. His prior government experience is the U University of Oregon Public Safety Advisory Group and the Oak Ridge Parks and Community Services Committee. James, thank you for being here today. We appreciate your time and making yourself available for this interview for this uh, uh, current uh, Raise for the district attorney office here in Lane County. Thanks for having me, Mark. Very good. And I'd like to begin by offering you an opportunity to make an opening statement. You can have up to two minutes as to why you're running and things you would like the voters to hear about you and know about you that have never met you before. Thanks, Mark. So I'm running for Lane County district attorney uh, because I've been a Lane County resident now for 15 years been in law enforcement for a little over a decade now and in these small towns that I've served uh, Junction City, Coburg and now Oak Ridge I've, I've seen how the system is broken and I'd like to be able to fix that. Um, we've noticed in, in, in dealing with crime uh, on the streets you know as a police officer that uh, cases just aren't getting prosecuted uh, at rates that are acceptable to the community. Uh, in my current community of Oak Ridge, we're looking at like 20, maybe 25% of our cases actually getting prosecuted. And that's been a real problem. And citizens have been encouraging me uh, for years to run because they hear through the grapevine that I'm also an attorney and, and they're like, well, why can't, why can't you fix it? Why don't you run? And, and so finally I, I heard that call enough that I answered it and decided to run. Um, now that being said, I, I, I'm not saying what I want to do is throw everybody in jail, and throw away the key. Uh, I think that our criminal justice system needs to be fixed so that it actually reflects our community's uh, values. And I don't think that's happening either. I, I think we need to focus more on treatment programs, that's drug treatment and mental health, um, in order to, to, to reduce rates of uh, repeat offenses. And I think that's the way uh, a DA's office should be judged uh, insofar as their success rate and what is the rate of repeat offenses. And, and that's something I think 
we need to spend more time and, and focus on. So in a nutshell, that's, that's why I'm running. And um, I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you. Very good. Thank you very much. We'll get back. I'll ask you some questions about some of the things you mentioned uh, in your sta opening statement. But first, let's let the voters know a little bit more about you. You've enjoyed policing in smaller communities. And you said your father is a retired police officer. And he was also a DHS investigator. And when you went to law school, you said you knew you had always wanted to be a, a district attorney. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that was my original intention uh, going through law school. Is I said I wanted to to do that. But I, I clerked for uh, Judge McShane in state court as well as federal court. And clerking in, in state court, I, I just, you know, watched the DAs and especially the first few years of, of practice there, you know, they're kind of pigeonholed into, into focusing on certain types of crimes like DUIs or, or thefts or whatever. And, and I like to I like to have my hands in everything if, if possible and, and that's actually why I've worked at small police departments rather than large because in large police departments if, if, if you're a regular cop you'll go deal with the crime you know put a band-aid on it but then you usually don't see things through you don't get to do the investigation that's going to be handed off to a detective etc I like working in the smaller towns because you get to do all of that all the way through and what what drove me to doing police work full-time again is that I really felt that I was more uh, able to help people directly in that role. I mean, obviously I took a huge pay cut uh, getting out of practicing law full-time and uh, getting into police work again instead, but it, it's, it's more fulfilling uh, to me. So that, that's why I decided to make that life change uh, about three years ago. Um, you know, and I still get to dabble in the law a, a, a little bit part-time when, when I'm not working. Um, so that's been fulfilling as well. What year did you graduate at the University of Oregon Law School? I don't remember. Uh, 2008. 2008. And so you tell me some of the things you learned about law enforcement, the law, the perception of it as the son of a police officer in the, in the family of someone who served as a DHS investigator. How did, how are those years um, formative for you in, in what you're doing now? Well, frankly, I, I don't know how my father has done it for so long. Um, I mean, he's technically retired, but he keeps coming back on a part-time basis to help out DHS, um, usually as a supervisor in, in then. But, you know, he, he focuses primarily on child abuse sex cases, some of them horrific, and, and I don't know how he is able to handle that emotionally. And he was always very good at trying to um, protect us from having to, to deal with that uh, emotional baggage comes with that job but his service to the community was something that I always um, admired and respected in him and uh, and that's probably why I ended up following in his footsteps um, we're both type of person likes to figure out uh, how to solve a problem um, you know even even on in the micro level you know there, there are times where I'll, I'll respond to a call because 
somebody's had, well, I'll give you an example. Someone had their cane stolen, uh, 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 an older vet gentleman. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, how do I get this guy a new cane? I'm going to investigate the crime too. But, uh, you know, I, I was able to post on Facebook on our community page in Oak Ridge. And within 30 minutes, I had eight people uh, that had canes willing to, to give him. And, um, just being able to connect with the community and actually solve problems uh, is more fulfilling. If you're the, the DA, a lot of times you're, you're getting involved in these cases weeks later, and, and sometimes you don't have the, the ability to, to uh, help people on the ground. So why are you interested? I mean, you're, you're licensed in Oregon and Washington State, but you're primary service post uh, law school graduation has been in law school. I'm, I'm just seeing this in law enforcement in Oregon. Why are you licensed in both states? Do you have a practice or you have clients that contact you? You said you grew up in Eastern Washington. You have, you do legal business there too, as well as here. Yeah, I, I have uh, done some limited uh, practice in Washington. Uh, part of being a lawyer is, is that your family will contact you with all of their legal problems. And so I've, my, the, the, the bulk of my family is still living in Eastern Washington. And from time to time, they have legal issues that I have to deal with. So I've kept that license current in order to, to help them primarily. Because, um, because believe me that, that your phone will start ringing from family members once they know you're a lawyer and they, they can get uh, free services from you, or at least they think so. So, and so, did, just out of curiosity, do this? Do, does Oregon and Washington for an attorney do they have reciprocity, or did you have to take the state bar exam twice? I was able to get reciprocity after you practice a certain number of years. I, I think it was four years at, at the time I got reciprocity. I'm I'm not sure, and then and that law has changed uh, every few years, so I'm not sure what it is now. But uh, yes. Yes, I was able to get reciprocity. Oh, very good. Let's talk about um, a little bit. I'd like to. Hear, I'd like those that see this for the first time hear a little bit about your uh, experience, your educational journey uh, to Oxford and Harvard. But let's begin with the University of Liverpool Law School, LLM, and international human rights. Yeah, so I was, you know, I grew up in this small town in Eastern Washington, mm -hmm. wanted to expand my horizons. So I, I moved to Chicago to do my undergrad at DePaul University, uh, even though I'd never been to Chicago before in my life. Um, and then I was working in, in uh, county government there for the Cook County Assessor for a couple of years and uh, knew I wanted to go to law school, but wasn't quite sure what area I wanted to focus in. Uh, you know, wasn't 100% sure if it was gonna be worth the money, et cetera. So I decided to do the LLM program in England first, which is usually kind of backwards. M most attorneys, at least in the US, will get their, their Juris Doctorate first and then specialize with an LLM. Uh, but I actually did it backwards and got the LLM first in international law, focusing on international human rights. And that program gave me the opportunity to, to, to get a taste of law school and also just be able to focus on one area 
uh, and, it, and it was it was a wonderful time in my life. I got to meet attorneys from all over the world. I was the only American in the program, uh, which you know put me in a strange position sometimes because they're asking me to defend the policy of, of the United States on various issues all the time, and uh, felt more like a diplomat sometimes than a than a law student. But 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 it was a lot of fun and and, and gave me uh, a lot of opportunities. So. Who was president at that time? Uh, it was the second Bush presidency. So there, there, were, there were certainly some, some uh, political conversations uh, going around at that time. And you said while you were at DePaul University, you were exposed to some amazing figures, public figures, um, people we have seen a great deal about in the news. You worked on the Gore campaign and his motorcade. You've worked with Mayor Daley. You work with Gov Governor Glojevich. Yeah. You uh, did some work uh, for Rob Emanuel when you ran for Congress. You worked within the Springfield, Illinois to promote a bill. And you work with the up and coming unknown who would soon become the 44th or 45th president of the United States, Barack Obama. Yeah, you know, I just, I kind of lucked out when, when I first got to Chicago, um, the Gore campaign was, was running and uh, I, I met the right people through, through dumb luck, frankly. And then I, I uh, did some advanced team motorcades uh, for him, uh, quite a few of them. He, he was in Chicago quite, quite a bit uh, at that time. And uh, I even had him, uh, there was a motorcade that was running late and I, I was playing hockey at, uh, on the DePaul University team and I mispracticed. So I had him write me a note uh, to the hockey coach, which, which I still have, um, which is kind of funny. I think, I think that was a pretty good excuse to mispractice. But, but yeah, just kind of fell into that um, and, and then continued to work in, in politics in Chicago for a while. But, you know, I, I got jaded. Uh, pretty quickly after a few years uh, and wanted to get back to the Pacific Northwest. And that's why I ended up coming back uh, for law school. But I mean, I, but I have great memories from Chicago. I mean, working with Barack Obama when he was just a state senator, he wasn't even a U.S. senator at the time, uh, was pretty amazing. And, and looking back at those times, I realized how, how lucky I was to, to get to know him uh, before he was uh, the big shot that he is now, you know. Um, so, yeah, had, had a lot of fun in Chicago, but but wanted to leave and, and, and glad I, I, I left uh, uh, when, when I did. So let's talk about that experience a little bit because, uh, you know, Chicago is always front and center in the news media for one reason or another. What did you learn dealing with not only the advanced team for the court Gore campaign, uh, Mayor Daley, Governor Gloyevich, Rob Emanuel, some of the, the biggest names in politics, and then uh, State Senator Barack Obama. What, what did you learn about politics, how you influence it, how you affect it, how you participate? Because I know you said that made you jaded, but I'm sure looking back, there were some some uh, real positives as well. There were, and, and definitely felt those positives 
you know, when I was working with Obama on, on a bill, we were basically, it was a property tax legislation that sounds boring, but the way education uh, was funded in Illinois at the time was based on property taxes. So in other words, if you lived in a rich neighborhood, you could look around and see really nice houses and you were getting a lot more funding for education. And, and the bill that, that, that we um, were working on was to level that playing field so that all the schools got the same amount of money uh, equally. And then of course, if, if school districts in, in rich neighborhoods wanted, wanted to add additional money uh, to their school districts, they could do that through bonds, et cetera, school levies, there were options to do that. But at least there would be a, uh, 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 an, an equilibrium to begin with. So the funding uh, would be fair uh, to begin with. And so, yes, you know, victories like that were, were helpful in, in my education and finding out how you get these kind of things done. Um, the jaded part came around, you know, when I was getting, you know, screamed at by Blagojevich, which he's kind of famous for, um, you know, that was not particularly uh, helpful. And, you know, and I saw the, the beginnings of some of the uh, corruption and nepotism that has plagued Chicago. And I think it's been cleaned up uh, quite a bit since. Um, but I just, that, that, you know, I'm, I'm a true believer. You know, I'm an optimist. I, I, I don't like getting involved in, in shady politics. And there was, there was echoes of that around. I think people knew that I didn't want to get involved in that. So I was never drug into it. Um, but that's just those, those dark areas of politics, uh, were, were a lot more, uh, prevalent in Chicago. And I, I saw some of that and definitely wanted to, to get back to the Pacific Northwest, um, where, where I think things are a little, little more pure, if you will. So in your involvement in politics in Chicago, was that your entire four-year career at DePaul or just towards the end? Uh, it, it was uh, basically all, all the way through. Like I say, I just kind of luckily got involved in, in that Gore campaign. And then from there, uh, I, I had experience at that point that, um, that made me marketable to, to other campaigns and just kind of got roped into, roped into some. And then my primary job uh, when I wasn't politicking was working for county government there for the Cook County Assessor who collects property taxes. Uh, also happens to be the same guy that the Blues Brothers had to pay in, in the uh, Blues Brothers uh, movie. But uh, that was, uh, I did some political outreach in that job as well, but it was uh, more of a kind of a special assistant you know, jack of all trades for the for the assessor himself, which was great because I got to follow him around and and interact with um, with constituents and and, and taxpayers uh, through that. So it gave me that gave me a lot of experience um, working in government uh, at the county level. So you graduate from DePaul. You want to go to. University of Liverpool Law School. What was that? Did you have to apply? Was it a special scholarship? Did you have to write uh, an essay? What was that like to be admitted to that school? Yeah, it was, it was a, you know, your regular direct enrollment uh, type of process. Uh, to, to, in full disclosure, I was a big 
Liverpool FC fan. And, and so uh, part of the reason I went there is, is, is the soccer. Um, but they also have a, a good law school as well. And they happened to win the Champions League uh, the year I was there. I just want to put that in there. Mm-hmm. That was 2005 in the greatest Champions League final game ever played. And how did you hear about that school? Uh, I was just doing research on programs in England. I, I had actually I'd done a study abroad program in my undergrad at the University of Sheffield. Mm-hmm. And so I, I talked to people when I was there who were studying law as undergrads, because in England, you, set, you study law as an undergrad, and then you kind of have an apprenticeship program before you can become a solicitor or a barrister. And so I knew how the system worked there and had had heard that that sometimes they would allow people into these LL programs who didn't have a law degree to begin with, as long as you had some pre-law uh, classes. And I think, frankly, again, I was just lucky uh, to be able to, to get in. Mm-hmm. And so you said that was a year and a half long educational process in the University of Liverpool? Yes. And then upon graduation, did you apply immediately to University of Oregon Law School? Oh, actually, no. Um, I, I did my first year at Willamette uh, Law School in Salem and then transferred uh, to the University of Oregon uh, School of Law. Uh, basically followed the scholarships at, at Willamette. Um, they were very generous in that, in that first year. Uh, but then I, I transferred. It uh, wasn't, wasn't quite what I wanted um, out, out of my law school experience. And so I transferred to U of O. So you went to, excuse me, you, um, you did a summer semester during law school at Oxford, and then you did on-site, and then you also did an on-site semester at Harvard in undergrad. Talk to us a little bit about why you wanted to go to those schools and what you learned. Well, I, I wanted to get the best education I could, um, I, I, as I think everybody does. and. In my opinion, those are the two greatest schools um, on earth, and I wanted to have some experience at them without having to pay the you know full tuition for or or, or be able to get in, frankly. Uh, but they they will let you in if if you're just taking classes. Uh, it was a, it was a direct enrollment for a semester at Harvard because I wasn't seeking a degree, just taking classes, which then transferred over to my undergrad. Uh, so I was able to do that. And then the, the program at Oxford was through a summer uh, law program mm-hmm. where, again, I would, I would take classes that transferred back. But I wanted to go there because I, there were two Supreme Court justices that had studied uh, law there at Modeling College specifically. And I just wanted to have, have that experience. And, uh, you know, it also happened to be where, where uh, Harry Potter was, was filmed, the, the, the dining scenes which was kind of neat and I was big into Harry Potter at the time so yeah, they may play a small role in, in, in my decision to pick that uh, specific college at Oxford. You've had quite the journey of not just education but travel uh, from a young man. I, I'm from a small town in Texas so I identify with you coming from a small town in eastern Washington. I've been to eastern Washington multiple times so I know what that looks like. Sorry. <laughs> you are president of your school 
you said you were a hockey player in high school as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I played hockey uh, uh, and then played it through college uh, as, as a walk-on on the, the DePaul team. And uh, I don't know how good these these cameras are, but if they're HD, you can probably see the stitches still on, on my face, yeah. <laughs> on my chin. But. And so it's it's interesting to hear a young man out of Eastern Washington have such broader perspectives in the pursuit of broader horizons that you would want to go overseas to the University of Liverpool, why you wanted to go to Oxford, why you wanted to go to Harvard. You follow the um, scholarships to Willamette, wasn't quite what you were looking for, so you transfer over to the U of O. This is all part of how you know the human development, right? Psychological development, emotional development, our world paradigm, how we view our society. What was it, um, what were you looking to receive from the U of O at law school and did you find it? I did, uh, and frankly, had I found U of O and, and Eugene, Oregon in, in general earlier, I may have just stayed here. Uh, frankly, I, I think that we were all very lucky uh, to live here. I consider this home and I'm, I, I, I'll never leave. Um, I, I spent a lot of time in my youth jumping around from city to city and, and that was fun, but uh, I, I call Eugene and Lane County home and, um, and I, I intend to stay. Uh, but yeah, I, I think everyone should have that experience to, 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 to move away from your hometown. You, you can always come back, but I think that, that you just you'll, you'll lose a chance to get perspective uh, if, if you don't do that. So, mm -hmm. and, and my mother, you know, I, I I grew up just with my mom as a basically an only child uh, to her, and we were lucky um, that, that we were able to do some traveling, and and she always took me with her because well, she had no other choice, uh, no one else to watch me, so. I think that that helped uh, broaden my my mind uh, as a kid. That's really good. So we're now you're at the University of Oregon. You are serving on an advisory committee that works with the students, faculty, making staff recommendations on police matters uh, to the university leadership. Talk to us a little bit about that experience and some of the issues that you, as a group, had discussion around, either um, helped the department grow, helped the university leadership grow, and maybe something you saw through to the end. Yeah, so that was around 2004, 2005, while I, while I was still in law school, and I was, I was uh, selected by the student body uh, to be the graduate student representative um, for student government, but also on this committee specifically. And the, the University of Oregon Department of Public Safety was starting their transition towards becoming a police department. Um, and one of the things they were trying to do, even before they became a, a police department, was, was to arm their uh, officers with tasers. And uh, I felt personally, and, and so did the students at, a, at that time, that, that that was a little reckless to, to be uh, handing out tasers 
to officers who are not fully trained uh, as police officers. You know, they, at that time they were not armed with, with, with anything except for uh, pepper spray. And we just had concerns that they, that they may be misused. And we certainly didn't want uh, tasers being given to the officers without uh, use of force mm -hmm. uh, plan that had input uh, from the students, uh, faculty, staff, you know, everybody, uh, before they were given out. And, and, and at that time, they were just, they were talking about, well, we'll give out these tasers, and then we'll work on the, the, the use of force plan. And that just didn't make sense to us to hand somebody something, but not tell them when they couldn't, couldn't use it. I think, you know, it was the cart before the horse sort of situation. And, mm -hmm. and that's what, um, that's what, I was against and, and the students were against at the time, uh, which later, you know, came back to, to bite me a little bit uh, when I started working for the University of Oregon Department of Public Safety, mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of the officers that were, that were there in 2004, 2005 remembered that I was against that. And, and some of them took that as a personal offense that I was against them. And that wasn't the case at all. I wasn't against any, you know, individually just the idea of giving out uh, weapons is what they are um, they can certainly inflict pain on people and, and debatable whether or not it can contribute to someone's debt um, so I, I was seen at first by some officers when I joined the department as you know anti-police and it certainly was was never the case and I believe I've been able to uh, portray that accurately to my colleagues that I'm, I'm certainly not anti-police been a police officer now for more than a decade but I, I think that there should be checks and balances on police departments and that there should be uh, civilian oversight um, of police departments I think there should be the same kind of oversight on DA's office as well so you graduating 2008 you went straight into the DPS officer for the University of Oregon? No, there was some time there. Um, it's actually kind of funny. Uh, there, there, I have a picture with Barack Obama when he was running in 2008. I was doing his motorcades in Oregon where I was talking to him about the upcoming bar exams. And I told him, I was real cocky at the time, I told him I was going to take the Washington bar and the Oregon bar uh, at the same time. And they were one week apart. And in the picture, he's shaking his head, and he, and he and what he was telling me at that time was that is not a good idea, because it's you know the the, the tests are, were completely different in style, and then of course the law is different between the two states. Well, he was right, and and I failed both of them. Um, so then I had to wait and take the next bar in 2009 uh, in Washington State individually, and then I passed, uh, no problem, but. Uh, you know, I, I should have listened to a guy who was, you know, running for president and, mm -hmm. and through law school and passed the bar himself and, and not uh, tried to fight off more than I could chew. But, you know, like I say, I was cocky back then and, uh, and learned my lesson. So, you know, that was also a time in our economy where uh, it was tough to yes. get a job. So, yeah, graduating 2008, failing the bar exam both of them, and, but then I passed in 2009. Uh, I, and then I started getting into law enforcement uh, around, started applying in 2009, 
got in at Junction City starting January 1st, 2010, and went through the Reserve Police Academy uh, with them. And I also worked at Serbu as a on-call group worker, uh, basically a, if it were a prison, you'd call it a jail guard, but they call it an on-call group worker at the Juvenile Justice Center uh, there as well. So got a uh, small taste of working with, with uh, incarcerated youth mm -hmm. as well. You know, leadership is it's such a big thing. I mean, it's such a broad uh, arena. What, J James, what did you learn about yourself? How did you process not only failing the Washington State Bar, but the Oregon State Bar? What did that do to you internally? How did you overcome that moment in time? And then, then your strategy was to go take the Washington State Bar first, right? Yeah. What did you learn about yourself? Because you know, so much of life is dealing with people that are struggling and or failing, and the DA would do a lot of that. So what did you learn about yourself, your own nature, and how to, how would, how, what did you do to come out of that moment in time? Well, it, it was definitely tough, um, but I, I learned that you just, you can never give up, uh, you know, and you, you've got to, you've got to put the pieces back together sometimes when, when, when things fall apart. Uh, you know, there was a period of time there for a couple of years, I was working like three or four uh, part-time jobs to, uh, to, to make it work. Um, and, and sometimes that's just necessary. Um, to, to do that. So yeah, I, I, I feel for people when, when they're in similar situations and, and I have no problem telling them my story um, so that they, they can understand that you can pick the pieces back up. I mean, when I was, uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but, but my situation with the University of Oregon Police Department when they uh, fired me uh, for reasons that um, were not true, you know, I had to file uh, the lawsuit against them. And I think for most people that would be overwhelming. Uh, luckily, I had a law degree to fall back on and I could file the suit myself, but that was a three year process. Uh, you know, and first we had to go through arbitration, which I also won and was ordered reinstated with back pay. And they kept coming after me, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't let it go and I wouldn't quit. Uh, even, even when I got the job working in the federal court, which was a, a, probably the greatest job I will ever have, um, I still didn't quit, didn't drop the lawsuit, because I knew that if I did, they would hurt other people mm -hmm. as well. So I couldn't, I couldn't just let it go. There, you know, there were people that were honest, told the truth about what happened, uh, as witnesses, and I knew that if I had let let that go and didn't see the lawsuit through, that they'd come after them next. So, yeah, I learned I learned learned a lot, um, and, and and you know I it's hard to be a crusader for 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 what's right. Sometimes um, that's probably that that word's a little strong, but uh, it's hard to stand up. To, to to power and it's uh, it's what I feel like I'm, I'm doing now again in in, in running uh, against an incumbent DA I mean it's never heard of it, it's 
very rare that uh, incumbent DA ever has anyone running against her. But again, I felt like I had to. Um, she's just shortchanging communities and um, and not um, not being reflective of our community values. So. So we're going to have a candidates forum just for those that are listening on Thursday. So I'm, I'm not ignoring what you're saying, but I want to save some of these uh, other commentaries for the forum where Patricia Perlow can, can respond. So I'm not, I'm not ignoring you, but let's talk a little bit. What did you learn about the process of law? This uh, experience that you're mentioning now that happened at the University of Oregon, you're a, you have a legally trained mind. You're a licensed attorney at this point in Washington. What did you learn about how law, uh, a legal situation could be misrepresented or could be uh, untruth, uh, lacking truth? And how did, how, how did you navigate that with the best of intentions to get to the end destination? Uh, well, uh, it was hard, uh, you know, a lot of prayer, a, a lot of uh, soul searching um, throughout that process because sometimes it seems like everybody's against you and there's no way to win, uh, but sometimes you just have to uh, persevere and, and keep fighting for what's right and believe that the truth will eventually come out, which it did. Uh, in a unanimous jury verdict, which included punitive damages against uh, the defendants, which again is pretty rare, only in cases where the jury decides someone has done something very, very wrong and they want to assess specific punitive damages on individuals. Mm -hmm. um, so perseverance is, is, is basically just kind of what I, what I learned uh, to deal with. And, you know, life is a struggle and, you know, I've, Seen other people go through it, and not everyone is able to cope as well as others. And um, that's just that's kind of, in a nutshell, that's what I learned. Is it's just you've got to persevere. What would be some of the greatest strengths if you're elected to as the next district attorney for Lane County? What would be uh, some of the strengths that you would bring as the next DA? Well, I think my commitment to, to transparency and, and openness is, is important. Um, you know, the current office is one that, that is a mystery to a lot of people. It's a mystery to me sometimes. Uh, calling that office, sometimes it's hard to get a, a response, uh, not only for myself as a police officer, which you think I'd be able to direct out right in there. I, I, I can't. Um, for victims as well, a lot of victims. Uh, well. James, are you there?
Okay, can you hear me? Hi, Mark. I'm so sorry. It's okay. So we were you were talking about well, what we we can do some edits out of respect to that that cut in the internet. Then it's been happening. So it's just the amount of people online. So let's go ahead and go back to the conversation. And the question posed to you was, what what are some of the strengths that you would bring uh, to the district attorney's office? Well, I, I think my uh, dedication to transparency, uh, I think is something that it's, it's really important. Uh, you know, the DA's office has kind of been a mystery to a lot of people, uh, to victims who try to call in to get answers. A lot of times they can't. Even to police officers, sometimes we, we can't get answers and understand how things are done, why they're done. Uh, so I think I, I, would, I would improve communication be, between the DA's office and law enforcement agencies. Some of the programs I'd like to implement is I, I'd like to give annual training to every single department in Lane County at their departments uh, because offering a training for everyone to come in is, is one thing, but these small departments, you still need somebody watching the city. And it's hard for a department of five people to all come into Eugene for a training. Whereas if the DA goes out to their department, they can meet everybody and, and educate everybody. And in my 10 years of law enforcement, I've never seen the DA at one of my departments. They've never been there. Um, to, to meet the officers, to train us, et cetera. So that's something I would like to do is increase that uh, line of communication with, with departments so everyone's on the same page, same training, get the legal updates, et cetera. And I'm, I'm willing to do that. It's, that's, I mean, I realize I'm going to be quite busy as the DA, but I think I can spare, uh, you know, a couple of days traveling around to all the departments to, to meet with them and, and, and train them. Um, I also think it, it'll be good to have a, 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 uh, a fresh start, if you will, with uh, the DA's office and our connection to uh, elected officials in Salem. You know, a lot of the things I want to do, uh, like increasing uh, mental health services for offenders uh, and drug treatment, it's going to cost money. I think we can get that money from Salem. But we need to have someone like myself who's coming in with a, a fresh perspective. You know, I, 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 my opponent has opposed bipartisan uh, bills like the juvenile justice reform legislation last year, which frankly angered a lot of uh, state legislators. And um, that's why you'll notice there aren't many, if, if at all, supporting her um, from Salem be, be, because things like that, that that she's done that again do, do not reflect what Lane County citizens um, actually support and so I think that I can come in and make and build new relationships with our state legislators uh, in order to get us more funding in Lane County. I, I think we're not getting our fair share um, and I, I think I'd be able to do that. What other and what other ways <clears throat> to your assistant uh, district attorneys to other programs. I want to hear you expand a little bit more, James, on your vision for improving how you would apply some of your strengths, some of your development of leadership uh, to some other expanded areas. Sure. Well, 
right now there, there's, there's, I, I've had plenty of friends that have worked for the DA's office and some that still do. Um, there's been a, a culture in that office where it's been viewed as you have to win. And if, you, if you're not winning, you might get fired. I don't view the, the DA's role as having to win every case. I believe the DA's role or an assistant DA is to put on the best case you can and let the, the judge or the jury make the decision uh, as to guilty or not guilty, because that's their job. You know, the, the DA shouldn't just be taking slam dunk cases. They should be uh, working for justice. That's their role. And I would make sure that my assistant DAs know that they're gonna be supported as long as they're doing the best job they can. And, and go ahead and take uh, a risk on some of these quote unquote, uh, he said, she said cases. Let the jury decide. That's their role to decide if he or she is, is, is uh, being truthful and, and, and make the decision that way. Um, so I'd like to change that. Um, also, it, it's been pointed out to me by, by a couple of people now inside the office that uh, it's not a very diverse office of, of the assistant DAs. Uh, none of them are of color. And I think that, that um, we could use some diversification there, uh, to, again, to reflect our community. And in fact, the hiring process uh, in general for assistant DAs is a little murky. From my understanding, sometimes some of them are hired just by one interview with the DA herself, and that's it. And some of them are hired through an ad hoc group that she puts together from time to time to, to do hiring. But either way, it's, it's bypassing HR and the, the, the normal uh, standard practices for hiring, which again goes back to transparency. And I would just like that to be a more fair and transparent process. Um, if you're elected to DA, what, what would be your vision on making that a different type of process? How would you train, recruit a more diverse assistant district attorney candidates and um, create some of this criteria that you're mentioning for some of these cases that you've just brought up? Well, the first thing I would do is take advantage of the U of O School of Law's diversity hiring program, which my understanding is last year that the DA's office did not participate in. I don't know why, and there may have been a, a good reason for that, but I would make that a priority to make sure that the DA's office was part of that program. Um, and, and then I would just make sure that, that the hiring process in general was standardized and uh, transparent. Now that you've been through some things in your life, if you're elected to DA, the district attorney for Lane County, what are some of your areas of weakness that you know that you have that you would have to be prepared to confront? Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, I, I, I don't have the same amount of experience as my opponent. I've just been there over 30 years prosecuting cases. Um, and, and, and that, that's, that's a fair criticism of me, that, that I don't have that experience. What I do have is in, in the last 10 years, I have prosecuted cases. Uh, I don't know what, a, what other term to use, but at the Muni court level, I have uh, uh, represented the city in cases, um, either misdemeanor or crimes we turn into violations that were misdemeanors. So I'm still in the courtroom presenting cases, calling witnesses, filing motions, et cetera. 
and I realize it's at the smaller level, it's not the big time uh, county courthouse, but I also know my way around uh, courthouses. I worked in federal court and state court at the county level for the judge. Uh, you know, I've, I've um, been involved in two capital murder trials um, at, at the state court level. And so I, I, I do have a, a little more experience than sometimes my opponent wants to give me credit for. Um, but it's true, uh, I've never been practicing DA. Um, and of course, I've never run an office that, that has an $11 million budget. I would point out that, that neither did she until she came in, into this role. And obviously a lot of that $11 million kind of runs itself. You know, It's not like I'm gonna fire everybody and no one gets paid. A lot of that money is already earmarked uh, for certain things. I think I, I would be successful in bringing in additional uh, funding for the office. Um, and, uh, but again, that is, that is an issue where I'm a weaker in that I don't have that, that type of experience. But again, I kind of think a lot of it uh, runs itself and it's more about uh, the general vision of the office and priorities that, that is what the DA really does. So if you had to raise some additional funding what, what, what are some of your thoughts around that? How might that be accomplished? Well, again, it's partnering with community groups um, for some of the alternative to incarceration type programs uh, would, would be run through uh, community groups. Uh, like Sponsors is one of my favorite, uh, which works on providing housing uh, to folks when they're getting out of jail. That's obviously uh, super important. Uh, for people because how are you going to succeed if you have no place to live but the streets when, when you get out? Um, so partnering with them and helping them succeed, helping them write grants. Uh, you know, one thing I did in Chicago was I, I wrote a successful uh, MacArthur Foundation grant uh, for the tax policy forum, which again focused on, on uh, uh, making property taxes more progressive. So I have some experience in grant writing, a little bit with uh, the parks districts that, that I've worked for uh, as well. And then again, just uh, getting more funding from the state legislature through uh, partnerships with them, uh, I think would, would, would make that successful. Now your law enforcement experience, you've had a lot of exposure to a lot of our smaller rural communities. How do you feel that that would help you be effective as a district attorney for Lane County interacting with the concerns of the smaller rural communities? Well, I, mean, I, I think that, that, I think you've kind of stated it in, in the question is that small towns will be able to trust me because I, I feel their pain. I've, I've, I've felt it now for, for 10 years in, in three different uh, small communities. and. And a lot of them, the, the small police departments are successful. You've got officers that know how to see a case all the way through, but sometimes they need additional help, uh, such as you know, computer forensic uh, file manipulation uh, and, and you know, that, that stuff, which is beyond me. And, and I certainly don't have the knowledge, I don't have the computer equipment uh, to be able to analyze uh, someone's cell phone to get some of that metadata, et cetera. Um, and that's where you've got to build partnerships with 
um, with other departments, other larger departments, and I think the DA can help make that happen. And it's something that, that frankly hasn't happened um, as often as it should, in my experience. And I guess my final question for you, James, is how would you maintain continuity of relationship? You know, changing a district attorney, if you win, it's a big deal. How would you maintain continuity of relationship or building relationship and continuity of effectiveness with the sheriff, the sheriff's department, the jail, the other city law enforcement agencies? And if, you know, Springfield has its own municipal jail here, what would be your vision and or methodology to reach out and to uh, coalesce all that experience to remain effective, to remain effective? Yeah, I think that that'll, that'll be somewhat tough, obviously, with the sheriff. Because uh, from what I've seen and experienced in the sheriff is directly connected to the district attorney. And I think you can, you can see that through all of her uh, publicity type pieces. Uh, so there might be some conflict to work out there. But I, I think with the other departments, uh, they're actually looking for uh, uh, a fresh change. You know, I think a lot of people are afraid to say it because the DA is a very powerful position. You don't want to cross the DA. Um, but I think you'll find once I get into office, uh, all of the departments, I, I think, will be uh, somewhat relieved to know there's someone in there that's new and is going to listen and, 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 yeah, try to put these coalitions together. Um, rather than play favorites, which is what, what seems to be happening now. Well, we'll look forward to hearing from the both of you Thursday evening at the forum and let you guys have some uh, uh, interaction around some of these issues that are, that are apparently uh, part of the campaign. It's part of this process, uh, the differences and per pers perspective and paradigms. Uh, what is What would you like to say to those for many people, I think this is the first time they're going to hear you or see you speaking as a candidate. What would you like to say to undecided voters or to the, the law, law enforcement community or leadership of all those that uh, trust the district attorney's office? What final comments would you like to make to them? Well, I would just encourage people to do their own uh, independent research. You know, I think there's, there's, quite a bit available on, on, on my website. But I think beyond that, I think it's helpful as a voter to, to look back at some of the old newspaper articles uh, and, and read about um, things that have happened at the DA's office. It's a simple Google search and you can type in the DA's name and, and read what's happened uh, you know, in, in the last uh, six years that, that she's been at the helm. Um, so again, I'm all about independence. Uh, you know, I'm a very independent person, and I, I think that, that people should should be making their own independent decisions too. And, and I just encourage people to do their do their own research. If someone wanted to get a hold of you in your campaign after they see this video, how would they do that? Uh, they can do so directly on our website, which is uh, clevenger4da.com. Uh, and there's a link there they can contact uh, contact me through uh, directly from our website. Okay, very good. So this afternoon we want to thank uh, James Clevenger, candidate for the Lane County District Attorney's uh, race this year. 
He is a police officer in Oak Ridge and a licensed attorney here in Oregon and Washington State. James, we thank you for your time, your perspective, your answers, your willingness to participate in today's interview. And we'll look forward to uh, the forum with you and our current DA, pa Patricia Perlow, uh, this Thursday at 6 p.m. Right. Thanks, Mark. Have Thanks, everyone. Day. Yes, sir. Have a good day.